Welcome to Postpartum Stories with Steph, candid conversations with mums and sometimes dads about the precious yet chaotic time that is life after birth. My name is Steph, woman, warrior, wife, mother, coffee lover and feminist. I'm a postpartum doula in Melbourne and you can find me on Instagram at postpartum underscore with underscore Steph with a PH. Through this podcast, I will chat to women and birthing people in a real and raw way about their postpartum experience. So sit back, grab a cuppa, even if it's cold, take off your bra and enjoy. Today's episode is a really beautiful chat with Rachel Rose. Rachel is uh, a Wollongong-based doula. She also works uh, one-on-one with women in business mentoring. Uh, She runs events, uh, holding space for women, uh, and she's pretty much just the biggest champion of women and birthing people. So I was really excited to have this conversation with her because she already has a daughter and she's got her second baby on the way. So uh, it was a really good opportunity to talk about postpartum with her first daughter and what she hopes postpartum will look like the second time around. Um, I really hope you enjoy this conversation. You can find Rachel on Instagram at the underscore Rachel underscore Rose. I will leave all of those details in the show notes. Uh, Enjoy. Just a quick note before the episode starts, um, for some reason, the towards the end of this episode, there's a delay in my audio, so it kind of sounds like we're talking over each other, we're not really, it's just a weird audio thing that I'm still learning about with this podcast, um, eventually the audio will be top notch, but for now it's still a work in progress, um, it doesn't affect the episode too much, but I just wanted to bring that up so you didn't think that we were having this weird talking over each other conversation. Okay, bye. Well, Rachel Rose, thank you so much for joining me today. I am really happy to be here, Steph. I'm excited about this podcast. Are you? (laughs) Yeah. Good. We've We've been talking about this for months and months. I know. We have and it's finally happening. It's here. Um. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your family. Sure. So, yes, I'm Rachel Rose. I am a birth and postpartum doula uh, and I also run women's circles and I do some business mentoring for women in business um, as well. And I live in Wollongong, which is on the south coast of New South Wales with my partner, Tristan, uh, our three-year-old Eloise, and I am in my third trimester of pregnancy, so planning another little baby soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, we live a relatively simple life. We've got a, a big backyard and chooks and a garden and um, we love to cook and I love to support women uh, in their pregnancies. I love supporting women in their pregnancies almost more than birth. Mm-hmm. to be honest, because I just love the preparation and the spiritual transformation that you undergo during those nine or ten months. 
Um, so I do quite a bit of that work by distance as well. Um, and I'm on call for my last birth before I go on maternity leave um, in the next couple of weeks, which is really exciting. That is really exciting, your final one before it's going to be all about you. Yes, I think I'm going to have to take my own birthing ball to sit on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess the first thing I want to know or I want to ask you is what were those first few weeks like at home uh, once you were able to bring Eloise home? Mm. So I'm maybe a bit of an anomaly in that I did plan as much as you can plan for the postpartum Mm -hmm. Uh, and I had an awareness of a few things in my life and my family's life that we needed to consider so one was that my partner was going to have very limited um, parental leave and number two was that we didn't have any community in Wollongong because we just moved there so we didn't have any friends or family that lived really locally and then number three is that I had had a history of anxiety and depression, not, not in the pregnancy. This was like five years before, but it was just something I was really aware of um, when it comes to the big shift in hormones and postpartum. So we looked at our support networks on paper and we're like, okay, we, we don't really have anything. Um, so we called in the support of a postpartum doula um, I booked her biggest package. Mm-hmm. I, I really wanted as much support and planning and preparation as possible. So she came and met with us a couple of times in our pregnancy to like talk about what it was going to be like. And so in that way, I feel like I, I did more than most because I am now a doula and a lot of people don't consider these things. Mm. And yet it was still really hard and really <laughs> challenging. Um, but- Sorry to interrupt before I forget to ask you this. What do you think kind of gave you that awareness to plan for postpartum? I think just those things. I think I was I was nervous that I was going to um, have anxiety and depression come up again and I, I just knew that would impact my mothering journey. Um, I'd also been sick during my pregnancy um, and mm-hmm. I realised that I'd be quite depleted physically um, after, you know, having nausea and vomiting for almost all of the pregnancy. So, mm-hmm. and I guess I was on the lounge a lot during my pregnancy and I didn't work a lot for the last two trimesters because I was unwell. Um, mm-hmm. So even though I didn't have a lot of bandwidth to like do a lot of things because I was sick, I still had more time than most, I guess, yeah. to kind of consider what life would be like. And I went to a a talk by the postpartum doula who we eventually hired. And it was just this one, and this was before we hired her, it was like, what's the fourth trimester like or something like that. Mm -hmm. And she said, you're likely to be breastfeeding for between eight and 12 hours a day. (laughs) And I was gobsmacked. I was like, what do you mean I'm going to be breastfeeding for 12 hours a day? How will I possibly do anything else? Like that's that's just so much time. Um, and that really sparked, oh, Tris, we need to look into this. Like we're not prepared. We don't have any support. We need to kind of really build what we can here. Mm. And, I mean, you never want to kind of scare a pregnant person 
while they're pregnant mm. about what postpartum is like, but it maybe is a blessing in disguise to have been given that information from someone ahead of time because it can be a massive shock to the system when you've got this little baby that is relying on you constantly in the in the way of feeding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it it took me on the path. So then I read like the first 40 days and I read some more stuff about newborn mothers and I just had more of an awareness. And so we planned a six week basically shut in confinement period kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. where, yeah, the idea was that we were just going to stay at home for six weeks and just figure out how to breastfeed and figure out what it was like to be a new family. Um, mm-hmm. And so that that is true. We did that for the first six <laughs> weeks. But it wasn't, it wasn't especially, like, blissful and romantic and um, not without its challenges or overwhelm. Um, mm. Although I'm glad we did that because I think if I had tried to also manage like getting out of the house by week one, it would have been even harder. Um, but there were drawbacks to what we did as well, which I think we'll we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. So you said despite the planning and the preparation, it was still really challenging. Yeah. What What were some of those main challenges for you? So I I gave birth and was in hospital for five days and Tris had taken three days of his leave off in my pregnancy and then I was in hospital. And so then when I got home, we had three or four days together before mm. he went back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember just feeling absolutely terrified of being <laughs> home alone with the baby. Um, yeah, justifiably so. And I just thought I was also quite angry. I was like, this is way too much responsibility for me to have like mm-hmm. and my anxiety over like dropping the baby or falling down the stairs or like all of these little things that would just pop up like the baby's going to stop breathing or just you know all this hypervigilant mm-hmm. stuff that is quite common I just felt oh this doesn't feel fair that this is all on my shoulders like yeah I, I want to share this and so I did plan for a family member to come for two or three hours each day in that first week when I was with her by myself. Um, But I was reflecting this morning in preparation for this and it got to the Friday. So that was like my last day. No, I think it was my first day by myself. It was a Friday and she was two weeks old. And I was having such a great day. I'm like, I'm nailing this. Like, I'm doing such a good job. Like, she's sleeping. I've rested. I've eaten. I've showered. Like, that's a pretty amazing achievement. I think I had showered at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, though. So I... (laughs) Doesn't matter. I was picking her up in the bouncer, and I had her in the bouncer while I was showering. And I picked her up by the handle of the bouncer, and I was walking to my, my bedroom, and I dropped the bouncer because the handle isn't actually a handle. It's something you're meant to hang things on. Uh-huh. And she bounced, all right? Mm-hmm. So she, like, dropped to the ground and bounced up a smidgen. And I collapsed to the floor and I was in hysterics and I was crying mm-hmm. and I was like, I've shaken my baby. She's going to have brain damage. I've killed her. Like, you poor thing. I called my sister and, like, I could barely breathe and talk. And she's like, did she fall out? Like, did she crack? Like, did she hurt her head? I'm like, no, no, she bounced. She <laughs> bounced 
five centimeters, Haley, and I think I've ruined her forever. And I just remember, like, I'm naked and crying. And Eloise then picked up on my energy, so she's crying. And mm-hmm. I called Tristan, and I'm like, Tristan, you have to come home. And so he came home at, like, 4 o'clock that day on my first day when I was meant to be doing it by myself. Um and it was just a real eye-opener that it was it is intense and it's so hard and, like, you're so hormonally charged and you love that little thing so much and you care about it so much and everything that you do feels so monumental. Mm. Um, and, and that early on, like you said, your hormones are still balancing out and adjusting. There's so much going on in your body. Yeah. You can't be expected, like, you could have accidentally knocked the bouncer with your knee and had the same reaction like yeah for sure it's not logical and I'm pretty sure my breasts were like spraying across the room while I'm crying because <laughs> she started crying and so I was just like naturally reacting to that and it was just mm-hmm. one of those scenes like just not a peaceful calm serene <laughs> postpartum that I expected not the first day that you want by yourself no. with the baby <laughs> <laughs> um we also had breastfeeding challenges for probably the first eight to ten weeks. So that was a mm-hmm. big part of my fourth trimester, just trying to get breastfeeding underway and learn how to do it and um, take her off formula, which we had kind of been pressured to put her on at the hospital and just mm-hmm. figuring all of that stuff out, Yeah, um, which means that, so much of that fourth trimester is a blur because it was just single pointedly thinking about how I could breastfeed that baby and and get that working. Did you have much support around breastfeeding? I I did um, in that my doula gave me emotional support and just like reminded me I was doing everything right and checking in with me that like my baby's behavior was normal and all that kind of stuff um but it's just that we'd done some nipple damage in the first feed really and I just kept feeding over it and it got worse and worse and it was really painful um and she'd had some jaundice and there there are all these things um Mm -hmm. but I I had very conflicting information at the hospital and mm-hmm. so I saw an IBCLC um, who did a home visit actually at 8.30pm on, awesome. on the night we got back from hospital. Mm-hmm. So that was like a 101 crash course in breastfeeding. Like this is, this mm-hmm. is what it all looks like. And then I saw two other IBCLCs in the first three months, just one to kind of use nipple shields and then one to get off them. And... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I think I spent like seven or eight hundred dollars on breast professional breastfeeding support. Yeah, uh, and that's the thing. Like, so many people have said to me, "Oh, it's so good you're breastfeeding because it's free." Mm. And it's like you have no idea how much money I have <laughs> yeah. spent to be able to keep breastfeeding. Yeah, um, yeah, and it, I mean it's such a full on thing um, at the best of times, yeah. and yeah, and. I'm sure a lot of people um, who are listening probably follow you on Instagram and know that you are a breastfeeding warrior queen. <laughs> so it obviously did um, 
get to a point where things started to work out a little bit so do you think around that sort of 10 week mark yeah I think I came off nipple shields around that mark and it just took us time my breasts were huge like I'm talking g or a h size like bigger Mm -hmm. than my baby's head figuring Mm -hmm. out how to just like hold my huge boob and the baby while and not suffocate yeah while recovering um (laughs) from birth as well and healing from birth I was very tender and sitting on a hemorrhoids cushion like you know all of those things um Mm -hmm. and I think I had a lot of pride my mother-in-law is actually she's breastfed all her four children for three years apiece and she was an ABA counsellor, but I, like, I didn't want the support from her. Like, I felt very guarded around um, yeah. that I wasn't doing a good enough job and I wasn't being a good mum. And so I kind of hid some of that from my family who could have potentially supported me and sought professional advice. Um, mm. And I just didn't have anyone around me that was breastfeeding. I, I didn't have any friends that had babies at the time. My sister had breastfed for two years, but many years before me, it just, Mm -hmm. it wasn't around me. So I was flying in the dark. I didn't know what babies sounded like when they breastfed. I didn't know what they looked like. I didn't know what was normal. I didn't understand that they just want to feed every 30 seconds and that's fine. Like there's nothing wrong with them. They just love to be fed and cuddled. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't it be great if we just had, if we were able to see more of that stuff without having to, you know, you kind of have to seek it out for yourself. Um, It would be great if it was just normal that we saw breastfeeding everywhere, like on TV and (laughs) that kind of stuff because I was exactly the same. Just the little noises they make. Like sometimes they can be really noisy and uh, they can sound like little like little gremlins. Like, yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I had been given like a fee play sleep thing from the maternal child health nurse, which I knew in my bones I didn't agree with and it didn't make sense to me. But there was still a part of me that was like, oh, but if they're giving that to everyone, like surely there's something to it. And so mm-hmm. I would question when I would feed and then she would want another feed, like, honestly, 10 minutes after. I'd be like, no, but that's, mm-hmm. no, that's not what we're supposed to do. There's playtime even. <laughs> have you read this book, Elle? And I don't know how you play with a one-week-old, but I was like, yeah. Yeah, so there was just that that conflict of I knew what I wanted to do and I knew what felt right for me, but there was still a lot of information that I had to just kind of filter out. Um, Mm. And, yes, look, we breastfed for three years. So we obviously got there and it was fine in the end. Um, But it was a big part of that first few months and I could really appreciate why people would stop, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly how painful it was for me. I felt – I remember feeding her in hospital with my – my toes curling and crying Mm -hmm. but then this thought came to me it's like but my sister fed my sister fed her son for two years she couldn't have been in pain this whole time like this isn't right this isn't Mm. how it's supposed to feel um and just knowing that and going okay I just need to find the right support to get through this and it's not going to be like this so 
and so good that you're able to sort of talk yourself through it that yeah. way logically in those first few yeah. days um how are you preparing for breastfeeding with um bub number two yeah so uh, i'm i i'm am and i am not <laughs> preparing mm-hmm. in a way um mm-hmm. I've been I breastfed for three years. That's thousands of hours under my belt. I was at one stage studying to become um, an ABA breastfeeding educator. Uh, I've been a doula, so I'm around breastfeeding a lot. I'm actually just breastfeeding obsessed, so I will read anything mm-hmm. about it. So I know just so much more. Um, but I know breastfeeding my baby doesn't. So I now have a real appreciation and awareness that it's two people that are in a breastfeeding relationship. So even though Mm -hmm. I feel really confident and I do, I trust my body, I just, I know we're going to be fine. I still want to give my baby that grace period of like, they're learning this from scratch and they have never breastfed before. So I do want to plan a quiet postpartum as much as possible with a, a three and a half year old running around the house um but where the focus is me just learning how to breastfeed again with this baby um and then Mm -hmm. I'm just so much more connected to a community like I said I had no friends here I I didn't know anyone and I've just spent so much time over the last few years trying to find women friends um Mm -hmm. who mother similarly to me and so if there were any issues, like I've got four friends on speed dial who I could say, can you come over and breastfeed my baby? Like something's not happening here and I, I don't want to go to formula first. Will you come over or come over and just sit with me? And I, That yeah. feels so good. It's <laughs> that is amazing. That's, it's, yeah, I feel like, I mean, you can't, like you said, you, you've done this before, your baby hasn't. You can't really prepare that much other than being, you know, educated and knowledgeable, but. Yeah, having, I guess, the village that you've created mm. um, close by, that's fantastic. Yeah, I had been asked by someone if I could be their doula when my baby will be around three months old and I was considering it and I was talking it through with a friend and I was like, I don't know what I'd do, like how I'd leave the baby. And she's like, you just drop the baby around at mine and just breastfeed her while you're at the birth. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> like I, pro- I probably wouldn't be ready to leave my baby at that stage but like, yeah. I didn't know I would be able to have these conversations. Like, <laughs> I know. They're, they're not, I, I mean, yeah, I'm exactly the same, especially around like milk sharing and milk donating. That's something I'd never read about or heard about until my baby yeah. was born. Um, but it really is an amazing yeah. thing. It's just, it's normal. It's what we always would have done. And it would have saved us quite a bit of grief if we had known it was an option versus formula in the hospital and for the first two weeks, but it was mm-hmm. not on my radar at all. <laughs> I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, going into it second time round, there's just a lot of faith in, in that we'll be fine and then friendships and knowing that I can have the support that I need. I'm also planning a home birth and I think in terms of that, Um, birth impact and being in a familiar environment hopefully having a really respected golden hour that kind of thing I think that Mm -hmm. will make a difference as well on absolutely um what what was the transition into motherhood like for you like going from um you know someone like 
prior to having mm. L, uh, you know, your identity obviously changes when you become mm. a mother. How did you go sort of grappling with the old and the new and the two coming together? So I, I was doing a master's degree before I um, had L, and I put it on deferral and I was due to go back six months postpartum. And in my head, I was like, six months is such a long time. I'll be so ready. Like, I'll be itching to get out of the house, I'm sure. And, oh, honey. <laughs> and, and I'll be in daycare three days a week and that will be sweet. And then I had her and my whole world was just turned upside down. I um, I love many, many elements of motherhood. Like, I really found a lot of joy in mothering. Uh, and I loved being with her. I loved breastfeeding her. I loved baby wearing her. We, we had such a beautiful attachment and a bond and it got to like five months and I was like, what was I thinking? Like, there is no way I could possibly, possibly go back at six months. I, I didn't feel physically ready, um, in my body post-birth. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel emotionally ready. And I just felt like my whole identity had changed. I didn't even know if I wanted to do what I was doing at uni anymore um so I gave myself another six months I deferred it again and then I just tried to sink into motherhood as much as possible um but it challenged me in so many ways in that like it was a completely different way of looking at achievement and achievement I'm doing in air quotes but I had Mm -hmm. been so independent I had been so driven Um, if there was a job that I wanted, I would apply for it and get it. Like I just, I had worked in all different sorts of um, professional careers and really thrived in workplaces, thrived in uni. And then it was like, okay, what did I do today? I breastfed for 12 hours and (laughs) made Goo Goo Gaga noises at my (laughs) child, which I adored. But then how, like, how do you measure that? And yeah. I actually did measure it. So I would go on like research trails around like what was happening in her brain development at the time and how breastfeeding was linked to this and that. And so I'd have to be like, okay, like I grew her brain today. And this, yeah. these first three years of her life is the most important in, in a human's life overall. Like you, your brain never grows at more of a rate. you you're learning so many skills and language and movement and all that kind of stuff. So I had to kind of approach it from that masculine lens as well and be like, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. tick, grew a brain, tick. Um, <laughs> she did a poop and that is because of yeah. my body and what I put yeah. into her today. Yeah. Um, but like, yes, fostered a secure attachment. Yes, okay, she's going to be emotionally intelligent. <laughs> like. It was a weird way to approach it, but that was just how I kind of needed to do it because it felt so foreign. Yeah. Um, and there was like a lot of just like being with her and hanging out. And um, I, I did get a gaggle of friends eventually and we started doing lots of activities together and going out for coffee and doing all the like the baby things, which I found weird, but it was what was on offer. Um, Mm -hmm. but even that was a a huge shift in identity. And I found that 
I both craved talking about ba- my baby, like the how many poos, did, like all that stuff, and I hated yeah. it. I was like, mm-hmm. but we're, we know more than this and we all have had careers and what's going on? Like why are we reduced to this? Yeah. While also feeling like my brain had completely changed. And I remember I needed to apply for a new Opal card, like a transport card in um, New South Wales, and it took me eight months to do it (laughs) because (laughs) the idea of getting Mm -hmm. on that government website and filling out a form and doing X, Y, and Z, like I attempted it and then I would just like log out. And I that was really hard to understand because I was so used to doing administrative tasks, like I'd been an operations manager for a travel agency and had done all these things, and I couldn't apply for my Opal card for eight months. Mm. Yeah, that that postpartum brain. I mean, I'm sure there's been like studies yeah. and things done on yes, what I've happens. Re- I've read them Steph. in that time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, know, I know you have. <laughs> yeah, which helped. Um, it helped, and it was like and Julia Jones talks about this um, from Newborn Mothers. It's it's actually your brain strips some stuff away, like grey matter, and it does change. They can see on MRI scans whether or not a woman has had a baby by her brain Um, but you grow your Mm -hmm. empathy channels and you grow your oxytocin channels and um, while you might strip away some you build your brain for caring and nurturing and it also builds it for creativity and I think Mm -hmm. that's so true because you're always having to be so creative in how you adapt to situations and um, it's just that the creativity can get masked a lot by the sleep deprivation. So it's harder to like mm-hmm. foster those ideas. But I remember when I started to get a bit more sleep, like suddenly I was filled with creative ideas and a new way of looking at things and a huge different perspective change on life. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was just, it was just teasing it out. It took a, it took 18 months for me to really feel and I don't want to say normal because I ne- didn't go back to what I was before, but it, to settle into the new me, I guess. Yeah. Well, one of my questions was going to be, um, and I, I'm just mm. asking this for a bit of fun, it's not totally serious, but when do you think postpartum ends? I like to say <laughs> postpartum is forever. Uh, yeah, I I think so too. Like, the, I mean, we're sold this mm. idea of six weeks. And, you know, you should be able to have mm. sex with your partner by then. You should be um, mastering breastfeeding if that's what, you, you've, um, yeah. if that's what you're doing. You know, like all these things that are just like six weeks, six weeks, six weeks. And it's like, yeah. After six months, I still felt, you know, in For that sure. fog a little I, um, bit. I have felt a bit of a change since I ended my breastfeeding relationship with Eloise. So she was just under three. And that kind of felt like a signifying end of a postpartum because my attention was turning away from her towards the new baby and like mm-hmm. I slept separately from her at night and Tristan was caring for her a lot more because I was unwell in my first trimester and that kind of thing but it's like <laughs> my postpartum's over and now I'm pregnant so it's not really a gap yeah um, but I know my mother-in-law <laughs> says that she still she still thinks about her children at night and has this, has similar senses of 
care and worry and concern and joy about her children who are in their 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it, it never ends. It's just that our needs change and the level of support that we yeah. require changes and the sleep that we get changes, obviously. Yeah. And so how do you think um, or do you think that your postpartum will be different with baby number two compared to um, with your first bub? I think it'll be night and day. <laughs> so my yeah. partner, Tristan, is taking six weeks off and he Beautiful. also only works part-time now. So he is um, working two to three days a week versus full-time. Uh, so once he goes back to work, I'll still have pockets where he will be at home. Um, I know Mm -hmm. it will be different because we'll have a a three-and-a-half-year-old at home, Um, but there's two days where she goes to preschool, so I'm hoping they can be my, like, baby-focused days. Um, I've got a doula again, a postpartum doula, who I, I again, got the biggest package. (laughs) Um, So I've got, like, (laughs) 10 to 12 weeks' worth of support from her. Um, And that's like a weekly visit and food and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. I still plan to be at home for, I mean, we're living through corona, so I don't know what it will look like, but I do plan to be at home as much as possible in the first six weeks just for my recovery. I know it did help a lot. I'd had a postpartum hemorrhage and uh, it was good for me to be around the house and just to kind of lean into getting to know my baby. But because I didn't know anyone and I had been sick in my pregnancy, by the time that six weeks finished in the first, I was so lonely. I was just really isolated Mm. and desperately lonely and, like, downloading Mm. mum Tinder and (laughs) trying to find mum (laughs) friends and all that kind of stuff. Um, I I didn't mean to laugh then. Like, it does sound funny funny. when you say mum Tinder, but... (laughs) Like it, 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 yeah. you know, but it's a serious yeah. thing. Like feeling isolated yeah. and lonely, those are like huge, huge things that you know a lot of yeah, mums have I to love, deal with. I so. love too because I don't know if you've ever used the app. It was called Mush, and you put in. I know, like it's a terrible brain name. Mush, I don't know. Like, you put in okay. <laughs> you put in things that you do with your baby or your parenting style or whatever. And then it shows you a mum who also attachment parents and likes cloth nappies. They are seven kilometres away. And you get to see the area they're in and then you can read a little bit about them. But, like, it was was hard because then I would reach out to these women and we'd have chats and then, like, we'd both ghost each other or whatever because, you know, you're tired and you don't know them and And it's weird. But also, like, I found with um, with mother's group and all that kind of stuff, like, I liked being around other women that have babies. And like you said, we could talk about baby poo and we mm. could talk about burping and nappies, whatever. But if there isn't anything more yeah. than that, if there isn't anything more than being a mum that you connect with someone else, I feel like, it's really hard to build yeah. a genuine friendship. And I was in such a desperate um, place. Like I think I would have just been friends with anyone and that energy, they could probably read it a mile away. Uh, <laughs> Are you yeah. home right now? Can I come over? What are you doing? <laughs> oh, 
Oh my God, it's Rachel again. Yeah, and look, I did a mother's group through the council or whatever and I didn't really gel with them and at least I made the decision not to go back. And then it was just slowly I met some people through ABA and my my doula had a monthly mother's group. So by the time I went to that, that was all kind of clicking into place. But this postpartum, I I have a community. Um, Not that we all will have babies at the same time. We're all at different stages now, but like I've got connection and if things are back to a semi-sense of normality, I'll, I will go to mum and bub's yoga and I'll, I'll do that thing where I'll ask people for coffee afterwards. Like I feel really comfortable in that now. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have that sense of like I'm going to be desperately lonely. It's like, no, I just, it'll be nice to know people with babies the same age, but I've got community um, despite that. And then, Mm-hmm. I just think it'll be and different because I'm not going to question everything. Like I'm not going to second guess every single thing yeah. I do. I haven't read any like baby books this time around. Um, I'm just going to breastfeed and hug them and um, bed share from day one and not stress about any of that. Um, and feed yeah. like, go in the bin. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I think this, I think we'll get a bit more sleep overall because once we started bed sharing at four months, it, it was a lot kinder to us. But those first four months of me like getting up for every feed and feeding on the lounge and the lounge room and walking back to bed, that was really disruptive and mm. I just felt very like a zombie. Um, whereas hopefully we'll just cosy up and get on with it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Did you bed share with Al um, sort of from the beginning? Like you just said then you were getting up to feed her and stuff. I didn't because I was using stuff, nipple so. shields and I couldn't feed lying down. Um, and I never planned to bed share. Mm-hmm. So we had a cot in our room which was next to the bed. Um, and we had a little co-sleeper that we put her in in between us, which I wouldn't do this time around because it's not particularly like safe seven guidelines. It's just what we did. Um so we did a mix of like the cot that her in our arms where we would take shifts, like one of us would sit out there for three hours and then we'd swap over um, at night. So we just weren't mm-hmm. really getting full night's sleep. Not that you ever really do, but it was just very disrupted. Um, and I would have to like get yeah. all my pillows and my props and my hemorrhoids cushion and my nipple shields and set myself up and then feed her mm-hmm. and then, Mm. put her back down and then go to sleep and then get up and do it over and over and over again. So I'm hope. Yeah, it becomes more tiring than the actual yeah, feeding sure. part of <laughs> And I dropped her one day. Yeah, like, like I fell asleep with her at the breast and she like rolled down on my legs and um, mm-hmm. that was the day that I decided that we needed to bed share and just learn how to do it and set the space up so everyone felt mm-hmm. comfortable yeah and I mean that's obviously going to be more safe yeah than yeah falling asleep on the night which is really the big risk of of any time they say that co-sleeping is dangerous it's usually a lounge or a recliner and that's when someone's just so desperate that mm. they can't think of anything else to do Mm. Did you find you got really groggy when you breastfed her? Yeah, so I was doing a lot of like scrolling at night, which would then put me into like a hypervigilant Mm. 
like bright light state so it was just bad overall for Mm -hmm. like trying to develop any kind of natural sleep rhythm and yeah I did all the Mm -hmm. online shopping and all that kind of stuff (laughs) parcels would just arrive and arrive (laughs) (laughs) what did what did I even order I don't remember um what did you do with your placenta? I love asking people this um, question. <laughs> we had it encapsulated. So my doula also does placenta encapsulation. And I took I took it for a little bit and then I just personally didn't really resonate with that practice. Um, and so mm-hmm. I stopped taking it and then I had tinctures and things like that made. And so my plan is that with this next baby, we will bury the placenta. I'd much, yeah, I just have this beautiful idea of like returning the placenta to the earth and, and having a tree over it. And so I'd like to sprinkle some of mm-hmm. Eloise's tincture over that as well, even though it's like the essence of the placenta and not the placenta itself. Um, I think the meaning behind that will still be beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um what were some of the unexpected things that happened in postpartum um, for you? We we didn't really prepare for our relationship to change. I know that sounds silly for anyone that's had children and no. knows that relationships change, but we didn't really anticipate the challenges that we might face. I feel like we felt so in love during the birth process and the early postpartum days and like learning how to parent together and it was just like a love love triangle um but then that eventually can Mm -hmm. kind of wear off just through the repetition and the sleep deprivation and then the changing roles and so yeah navigating that was probably an unexpected part and making Mm -hmm. yeah I I can totally resonate with that because it um it it mm. just it changes everything and you kind of if you're not communicating certain things like like you said that sort of first month or so is mm. yeah like this big love bubble but then reality sets in and it's like I found myself being oh. like what time are you going to be home from work <laughs> And it's like, it's 5.01. He was on such a strict, like, you leave the office and you come straight home. And if it is Mm 5.16, then I will know that you stop somewhere. And I I was listening to your (laughs) episode with Clay and the thing about the haircut, he got a haircut while he was at work and you're like, how how very dare you? Yeah. I had that too. I know. The exact same scenario. He came home and his hair was different. I was like, what have you done? How dare you? I didn't get to have a haircut. Like uh, me having a haircut is like a three-month mm-hmm. process of planning and figuring out how to do this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that. Mm. And you know what? <laughs> he probably got served a beer during his haircut as well. Uh, there was just unexpected anger, I would say, just about like, oh, but mm. my life is so different and your life is different, but it's also the same because you have the rhythm and the routine mm. and uh yeah the other day (laughs) he he might be hearing me anyway I'm gonna tell this story um (laughs) 
<laughs> he went to the bathroom and Elle went and knocked on the door and she's like hitting on the door and he's like, Elle, can you just give me some space? Uh, I'm doing a poo. And I was like, I don't get space when I do a poo. Like, what do you mean? Space. And then he, he came out afterwards. I'm like, yeah. how, how often is she in there with you? And he's like, oh, probably like three times. And I was like, three, three times in three years. <laughs> That's once a year. And I was just like, I I don't oh, yeah. ever get space. Like sometimes if she's deep in play, I'll close the door and I'll manage it. But a lot of the time, you know what it's like, they're just your shadows and that's, yeah. So just things like that yeah. um, were just completely unexpected. Um, I, yeah. I didn't anticipate how much I wouldn't really want to leave her as well. Like I thought I would be a lot more comfortable just passing her around to friends and family and that kind of thing and I felt really not okay to do that (laughs) um her -hmm. grandmother started looking after her for a couple of hours when she was like nine months old when I would do some uni work and I just remember Mm -hmm. like at the end of that three hours I would just be very intensely on edge just wanting to get back to her um which was also quite delightful just to know like oh that that bond is so strong. Like it's a physical reaction in me. Mm. Um, and the other thing I didn't expect was just like, I, I knew sex would be disrupted. I knew intimacy would be disrupted, but I didn't understand that I would get so much of my intimacy cut filled by my child and that it's like a non-sexual mm-hmm. intimacy and it is, it's very different, but you and it's not a matter of being touched out necessarily like I actually really enjoy the sniffing of the hair and the cuddling and the doing contact naps because she didn't sleep in a cot during the day so I'd be holding her for hours on end and baby wearing her and breastfeeding her and it was just like I'm sweet (laughs) like I've had I've had so much love and oxytocin all day like I don't need anything else um, but then having to navigate that mm. bridge and be able to communicate that and to hear my partner say, well, I'm not getting any of that. <laughs> like I'm at work and then I come mm. home and it's witching hour and you hand me a crying baby cause you need time. And so I get the crying baby and then we finally get her to sleep, mm. but she wakes up every 45 minutes, even when she's on our lap while we're watching TV and you don't even want to sit your leg next mm. to me because you've had so much touch during the day. And how did you sort of navigate all of that? And like not yeah. putting pressure on either of us to do anything about it, just like to acknowledge that it was shit sometimes and that there was other ways that we could get intimacy um from each other and then also by ourselves and that's cool and just exploring those conversations rather than it being this we're a couple we need to do couple things together or we won't survive Mm. Um, and I think you need to acknowledge as well that you know it's okay for things mm. to be completely different Mm. intimacy wise after having a baby yeah no one really tells you that but you know it, it is different for whatever, like for a myriad of reasons, but yeah. Um, and yeah. we did spend a lot of time watching <laughs> shows together with a sleeping baby on one of our laps. And 
I feel like that got mm-hmm. us through a few months. <laughs> like even if we weren't <laughs> doing a whole lot of touching, it's like, okay, we're, we're committed to being in this room together. <laughs> Um, or there were beautiful mm-hmm. moments mm-hmm. of him like cutting up my food because I'm holding breastfeed, like I'm breastfeeding the baby and he's like cutting up my steak or something like that and just trying to notice those things as well. Um, but, yeah, mm-hmm. just lots of chatting about it and realising that we weren't the only ones going through it. It was pretty much part and parcel of, of the postpartum experience. Mm. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for our chat today and I'm just so eager to follow your journey as it continues on with baby number two and just watching you blossom because Oh, thank you. you I hope I don't need to blossom. Like who knows what it'll be like and but I'm I'm down for the ride. Well (laughs) I'll get you back on. Episode two with Rachel yeah. Rose will be in about six months and we'll check in and see yeah. what Everything she said initially and what actually did. happened. No. No. <laughs> yeah. But, look, even if it did, you've put all of these mechanisms in mm. place and you've got that community um, and what will be will and be. And I do believe degree, this will be my last baby and I'm – hoping that I will be able to appreciate that as well and just sink into it and be like okay this is the last time I'm going to experience this I know it's hard but how can I be here now Mm -hmm. and be with it and I think that'll make a difference as well Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please come over and say hi on Instagram. That's where I like to hang out. Uh, my handle is at postpartum underscore with underscore Steph, S-T-E-P-H. That's where I'll be sharing podcast episode updates too. Hope to chat to you soon.